1: yo welcome in to the house of l podcast i am lawrence holmes this is episode is uh i gotta tell you what happened on this episode by the way thanks for listening i appreciate that you support me on this platform and all other platforms with which i do my thug thizzle. <clears throat> I was really excited about this episode. It has been months in the making like to get it from when the actual interview happened to me being able to put it out. I'm really excited for you to hear from our guests and it makes sense that we put it out this week because it's Masters Week and my guest is uh, the senior golf editor at ESPN. So check this out. I want to give you a little bit of background before you go into this and explain why some of the content might feel a little dated is because it is dated, but I wanted you to understand why part of the process that I have to go through in getting guests on to the podcast. If they, if they work for a competing entity, not that there's one that's competing with house of L house of L is independent, but because I work for the score, And because ESPN is really careful about when they allow people to do interviews, that we have to jump through some hoops a little bit. So like when I had Sarah Spain on, for example, it took us a couple of weeks for her to get it cleared, to come on like we could never do each other's radio shows. And it's cool. But like last week, Sarah hit me up and was like, man, it would have been dope. If I could have gotten you on to talk about Tony Larusa, and I agree, it would have been a lot of fun to to hang out with with Spain and Fitz and talk about Tony Larusa. Anyway, the reason why I really like this episode, regardless, is because of what happened. So Nick Petroskavage is the, the the senior golf editor for ESPN.com. Here's the crazy part. We worked together here in Chicago. He used to cover the Bears and the Cubs and the White Sox and the Bulls, like for the Northwest Herald, I want to say. So I've known him for a really long time. Like, we hang out a little bit at Bears. Like, he's got, we have similar sensibilities and senses of humor and that sort of thing. And then he left and took this job. And I was like, oh, you know, good for him. Occasionally, like, We'd run into each other on Twitter in the middle of a conversation. I'm in grad school. Roll tight, In Alabama, I was taking classes virtually. And so you're, you're meeting people. So usually they do like an introductory, like who are you? Why are you in grad school? What is it that you hope to get from this course? This sort of thing. Make sure you reply to at least one of your classmates replies like that's part of like the like zero week assignment right i look in there i look in one of the message boards and i'm like i know one person with the last name of petroskiewicz one like i saw that name and i was like no way and it turns out that nick and i were in the same classes at alabama So I was like, hold up. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? So it was great for me because I I had, like, a built-in support system. Someone I knew, someone who worked in the business, I didn't feel alone. And overall, like, my experience at Alabama was terrific. I never really felt alone there. But to have a colleague be in one of my classes – that was it was really awesome so i'm i'm really happy that we had the opportunity to to kind of reconnect so i was a year ahead of nick like even though we were in a couple of the same classes we were just taking them at different times so i graduated in 19 he just finished up and so there were there were hoops that i was jumping through that i was like okay so when you get to this part When you get to your final project, this is what I did. This is what you should do. This is how it could work for you. And it was great. And then he said, man, I should be on the podcast. And I said, yes, you should be on the podcast. So we did the interview, and he thought that it had been cleared, but it hadn't been cleared. So now it's been cleared. So we're good to go. He's not going to get any trouble because the last thing I want is someone to be on my podcast and get in trouble I really just want to know how they do their thing and he's a really good writer and on top of it he's an editor what I didn't know I didn't know how many places that he had traveled to so if you're a golf fan this episode is right up your alley but if you want to learn how to write and what it's like to work at a place like ESPN I think you'll enjoy it this is my conversation with my classmate ESPN senior golf editor Nick Petraskevige. What was the thing that drove you into becoming a writer in the first place?
0: Wow, uh, it's funny because I you know I teach the class over at Quinnipiac, and I always want to say like I had this, you know, I would love to tell this Woodward and Bernstein story. like I wanted to change the world right? Uh, I wanted to break the story that you know everybody talked about for decades. It wasn't that. I liked sports. I liked writing. I was like, let's throw them up off the wall and see what happens. It was that basic. Um, And then I got into the business, and I liked the business more because I started to learn, all right, it's, it's about more than that. It's about, like, how do I build a relationship with this general manager and this player?
1: talk about the business changing for a second sure when you start out you're probably thinking okay i'm a writer i'm gonna write one of the things i talk with my students about all the time is we live in a space now where everyone is everything so if if you're someone who's like oh i wanted to be on tv well you better be able to write and i want to just write well you better be able to go on the radio to promote the stuff that you do when you started out did you how have you seen the industry change from that perspective?
0: It's incredible. Like so I'm not that old. I mean, my classes think I'm old, but I'm I'm forty three. I've been in this twenty years, which is not that long, right? But I covered the Cubs and the White Sox when I was there and there was no Twitter. Like our website at the at the paper that I worked for had like sort of just started I had just started our first blog or second blog in the newspaper. Like it was a different world. So it has changed so much. It's not like you can't shut it off. You know, there was not. You know, it's okay. It's ten o'clock at night on a Friday, and you're you're cool to see Monday. Like, don't worry about it. That's not how it works now. Like, you can any major story can break at any moment, and it doesn't matter what you're involved in—sports, politics. Like, there is like, there is no off mode now. And so that's the that's the part about not being a writer anymore that i'm kind of okay with because i remember how much of a day and a fear you had at the end of the night when we put a newspaper to bed and you're like mm-hmm. i wonder what i wonder what sully has got in the morning all the kylie's got in the morning now like i gotta worry about what they've got in the next four minutes at 11 o'clock on friday so it's completely changed the commitment to it has changed the time commitment to it has changed um amount of people competing and where they work and how they work is different like the whole thing has undergone undergone such a transformation in 20 years which in the grand scheme of things is such a short amount of time
1: can you imagine having to be so attached to your phone like being a beat reporter today knowing that you're right like you can leave the park and all sorts of stuff can happen. Like the player yeah. might tweet something out that, that I I wonder about what that's done for, for the work life balance of people who are now beat reporters. I don't know how you have it.
0: I don't like, it was hard. I thought for me 20 years ago, and that's pre Twitter and all that stuff to balance. Like, how do you have a regular life? Like, I make the jokes about the different weight classes of Nick in there, and like, it was part of it was that is I couldn't balance it, and I just like, all right, roll through a drive-through at 11 o'clock at night. Now, like, because I'm stressed, and now it's it it is nonstop. Like I used to say, that being a baseball reporter was the hardest thing in the world because you're on the road so much. Sprint training is so long. Like I don't under, and this was like before social media, so I don't understand how some of those other people back when I was. You know, much younger sitting there and I'm looking at them like how do you have a family like how like, I don't I don't understand this I can't like eat a healthy meal I can't understand like having a relationship and then having kids and all this stuff and like being present like, I don't I don't get it and so now with the attachment to your phone with the attachment to work like it's even harder I would imagine for to be a reporter it's hard as on my end as an editor but like reporter to be in the mix and to be that competitive and it be constant, like it's kind of it's draining.
1: Do you think if you were entering the business right now, would you still do it?
0: Yeah
1: This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do,
0: and that has not changed. I don't know though, like that I can go back and be a reporter. There, there are days like I, I miss being beat i miss being out there uh and then then i'll see a rain delay and be like yeah i don't miss it that much mm-hmm. um but i and it's great I, I i love my wife so i don't want i like and there are days like that she likes me too i'm kidding she likes me all <laughs> but like i would want to go i would want to make that time commitment away from being here to go on the road for six months of the year um like i go four weeks a year now and at times that seems like a lot I, you know the only traveling i really do back when we traveled was i go to four majors and so that's four weeks out of the year and i felt like that was a long time i feel like that's a long time now like so i can't imagine going to the point where it's six months on the road um i, I can't get my head around that part of it but I, if back in back in my twenties, or if I had decided like I'd never met her and fallen in love and like wanted this kind of life, I'd I'd be in Washington or New York right now covering politics and like I I still have that passion for the business and there are days when I want to be a reporter and then I realize you know what I like what I'm doing now I like how my life is set up now.
1: I see all the stuff on the wall. Yep. See, I, and I I know that you're a big golf guy. Yep. What was this stretch of time during the pandemic like for you when there was no golf?
0: So it was. I've been busier, I think, in these five months, like work-wise, than I've I've ever been. Um, so, in addition to overseeing all of our golf coverage, I chip in on like long-term baseball projects. It ended up turning into. Short term because I started a project with Tim kirchin that we did basically his version of Honda State in baseball history every day for hundred consecutive days.
1: Yeah, I've been enjoying it.
0: So we finally stopped at hundred, uh, because rumor is there might be baseball here soon. Um, but without golf it was it was weird because you you had to be a little more creative in terms of storytelling. You had to I think you learn a lot about your reporters during this time too, because you can't just send them to the ballpark. You can't them to the golf course and say go talk to somebody they have to have the contacts to be able to pick up a phone or to DM somebody and get them to then pick up the phone and have a conversation that way. Um so it was weird. It's good to have it back. Uh it's good that you know personally also I get to go and hit golf balls to clear my head more than I probably should be hitting golf balls to clear my head. Um but without it for a while it was it was weird and you're like when's it gonna come back? When's any of this gonna
1: was it always golf? Was that always the draw for you, or did is that a a learned love? So
0: golf is a family thing. Like I played with my 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 dad and my two older brothers growing up. So that's like if I'm going to do something on my own time, like I've always had the golf itch. Of the stuff that I've ever covered in my life, life like baseball was. Baseball is so my favorite. Um, I mean, the trips that I get to make when I get to make them again, if I get to make them again. Uh, for golf has been fantastic. Like, there's nothing like going to an open championship in Scotland or Augusta, but like, there, every October, man, I miss, I miss Wrigley or Miski or Pittsburgh or any of those other stops along the way. There's a day-to-day part of it about baseball that is just fascinating to me, um,
2: and challenging.
0: And I, I, so of the, of the professional part of my life, in baseball but like the personal part of my life like i've been i, I love golf
1: let's talk about the places that you've been as far as golf courses go is there any place that people told you you know look when you go there it's magic it's magic and you were like ah, all right you're overselling it and then you got there and you were like holy shit it's magic <laughs> like they said it yeah, was
0: for sure so i've watched golf since i'm a little kid right i watched it with my dad in the basement with my brothers like I remember all of it and so the first I always said I would never go to Augusta until I was on our press credential like I was never going to see the place until I was going to go and work there because that to me in my mind would have been I made it no matter what, like and I've done some cool things I did a lot of cool stuff when I was in Chicago I did a lot of cool stuff here but I was going to master's like on a credential I broke that rule and went me. to w- went to one Day of a practice round with my brother uh my sister-in-law my wife but then i went to augusta but it's one of those things that's like and i'm not being a show for me, it's like when star wars is coming out and you're like hey, there is no way this can meet my expectations like there's no way and then it does or it doesn't i had this fascination with going to augusta and let's put aside augusta's issues because they're i'm not going to ignore that they have but going to that place, like, I had the highest expectations humanly possible. Of, like, there, there's no way I, they can be met. And everybody I talked to said, yeah, like, I felt the same way. And then it beats them. It beats them.
1: Wow. Okay. It
0: is. That and, so that, as a person who loves golf, like, that was awesome. My favorite event, though, is still going to an Open
1: Championship in Scotland. It just, it all, it just all feels different. Why? Why does it feel different? What What is it that uh, that's special about it, other than like you know, the birthplace of it? like that sort of thing? Like what's what draws you in as someone who's loved golf your whole life?
0: So the there's a couple of things. So the one is most of the time these things are getting played in the middle of nowhere. Like it is like if they had the U.S. Open and. Towns you stay in um are, like I said, usually pretty small. I've stayed in some of the weirdest, coolest b&b's in my life. so to these majors, like I i went once, the first one I went to was Scotland in 13 with Muirfield, Phil Nicholson wins. We stayed at a b&b that was, I don't know, it had 20 rooms or whatever. We had three or four of them. And I might or might not bring my golf clubs when I go on these trips. Just maybe. And, and like, Also went and took a shower. Wrigley is, Wrigley is special. Fenway is special. Augusta is, is special. This was both special and, and just felt different.
1: Is there any place that you haven't been that you hope to go to? Wimbledon. Why?
0: I don't know. I, I, like, I like history. Um, so I think that the places that are cool to me are the ones that have some kind of history to them and just feel important when you walk in like i will i've been i've been like i said i've been really lucky there's a lot of things up on the wall and the wall up there but like i will never forget the day i walked into wrigley like and i won't forget the and so for some reason to me watching that television wimbledon feels like that kind of place and i don't know so like i said i've been pretty lucky there's not too many other ones that i'm like i gotta see this place before i call it quits in the world Uh, Wimbledon's the one I think It might
1: be the only one You brought up that You've made the transition from Someone who's writing every day For a paycheck To now editing people who are Writing every day for a paycheck What's the biggest Difference in seeing the The industry Through that lens versus The lens that you saw it from when you were Reporting Yeah I
0: think have to see it as a reporter i'll be honest i like i wrote for myself a lot and then hoped it resonated with an audience whereas an editor i have to think, think about like the audience first you should think about the audience first all the time i think reporters might not do that sometimes and i was one of them and so i understood that from this perspective it's like, like okay how interesting is that's how really interesting is that story to an audience as opposed to how interesting is that story to me because I'm around it every day. Like it might seem like it's the most important thing in the world because I'm in, lack of a better word, right now in that bubble. Is like it's so important, but to an outside audience, it's like so minutiae that they don't care that much. Or you know, how long into the story? Are people gonna either read it or watch it? Like how do I keep their How do I keep their attention? And what's the timing of it? Uh, Does it work better on a Tuesday as a Thursday? Like, I got to know what the other sports are doing because, hey, like, I got this great story about Tiger, but he resonates pretty much all the time. But I got this great story about Tiger. Tiger. I'm an idiot if I release it on selection Sunday. So you got to think about all these other things like news cycles and attention spans and all all this other stuff. And then on top of it, you have to make a convincing argument to the reporter who works for you Buy into what you're trying to sell them to commit, so then they commit
1: and put the best effort forward to engage audience. Did you think that you'd end up in the editor's chair? Oh,
0: no chance. Never, never really, never really considered, it. never thought of it when I was in school. Never thought of it when I was uh in Chicago for the first. I mean, I was there seven years. I think for the first five, like that. At the beginning, just the newspaper business scared me so much. Um, we have I have friends and people you know too that worked at newspapers there that kept a tap on the shoulder that were good reporters and said, "All right, layoffs, like time." And as a reporter, I just I felt like that was, it was coming, no matter how good or how bad or how different or how much I cared, it didn't matter, like it was coming. And so when it was ESPN and it was. You know, I started here as a night baseball editor. Like those things those were interesting to me and I'm like, all right, maybe let's try something different because this is the only industry I want to be a part of and maybe this is
2: the way I can
0: stay in it. Um, and let's see how it goes. And then I fell in love with it. So I've been I've been really lucky, but I I'd never in my life wanted to do anything but be the person that was typing.
1: What do you think is different about the digital space from the print space?
0: spaces um i mean it one it's non-stop i mean the print space is sort of still stops but like i don't think anybody's really print only now right if they are they're even in more trouble than they even know because they're a digital company no matter what they do even the washington post and new york times are like they're digital companies right so I think it's that I think it's understanding consumption and delivery methods
1: more. I mean this is getting in the weeds probably, but that's that's what this podcast does. I'm I'm all for it.
0: It's how do people get their get their information, how long do they stay with it? Um how do they how much do they how much do they care? When do they care? It's all of those things. And so I think the other issue and this is just from the writing part of it, is there are
1: Granger, for the ones who get it done.
0: Like, I think sometimes it's just, I've always said, especially when it comes to writing, like, it's easier to write long than it is to write short. And it sounds counterintuitive, and you're like, that makes no sense. You can just keep typing, and if somebody doesn't stop you, that's easier than saying, all right, what do I leave out? I tell that to my class all the time. Like, i I like, I know you've got enough material here for 5,000 words, I want five hundred. I don't want five hundred and one. I want five hundred because that makes you decide about when do I step away from the table. And I think that's the hardest part in digital. Is like we can just let people go on forever because there is no there is no like inch count. To Use an old no longer with us newspaper term.
1: What do you think leads people to sticking around and reading more? Because you know there there have been all sorts of studies that. The attention span you zone out after about 600 words when you're reading things digitally. So, what do you think when it comes to long form stuff captures people's attention enough that they're going to invest and in actually read?
0: So, I think a good story is still always
1: going to be a good story.
0: Um, so I think that's part of it, is and I think there's name recognition sometimes, like, yeah, I mean, people are going to click if. And watch if it's Tiger, they're going to click, and they're going to watch if it was Tebow. Like as much as we say we we didn't want to, like the metrics, and that's the thing we can prove it to you. Like you're gonna you're gonna watch it, you're gonna read it, you're gonna listen to it. Um, but I think there's the other part, and it's basically the, the concept and start from scratch, and that's the job that's incredibly important, and I take very seriously. Is the entry point is always going to be the headline. I mean, so I wanted. I've spent an inordinate amount of time on headlines, and it's not just to clickbait you and get you to get you to jump in. It's that's my that's my way of writing still, but that's more my service to the reporter who worked their ass off for this is that I want to give the, them the best opportunity to have this consumed by the most people. So I think there's all that. I mean, one of my favorite stories in the last year at ESPN uh, was by Liz Merrill, who is fantastic. It was about you know, a former, uh, former college basketball player who became a nun. It's it just, it's phenomenal. It'll take you a day to have to read it because it's so long. But I read the whole thing. It's fantastic. And you're thinking, like, hey, it ain't Tiger. You know, it's not Mike Trout. It's not, you know, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. It's a former women's basketball player in Villanova who became a nun. And that's, that will, that will be on my both that will be on my syllabus for, I can't see, I can't imagine how long until I drop it. Because It's phenomenal. But it was like, it's a great story. And a great story is always going to be a great story no matter what platform.
1: You talked about the headline writing aspect of your job. Does it satiate you or do you still feel the urge to actually write content every now and again?
0: Sometimes I do, and at least I'm lucky enough that we have such a small visually that to, to write golf that you know i assign myself some stuff um one because you know i i do have that background and i have the blessings of my my bosses to do that occasionally but like you know at augusto or at the major but i'll write once or twice a week just to fill in some gaps or hey this came up and bob harry or mark schlabar or Eno connor like often doing something else or chasing something else and i'm like all right we need to do this i can do it so i do it um and I find smaller ways. We have basically an in house version of Twitter. It's called Shortstop, in which, you know, we have short form content that we put up and you know, tomorrow when, when the tiger goes off at one seventeen, like I'm the guy that'll be in charge of that. So it's small doses, but it fills it fills the, the urge that I have occasionally and then every once in a while I'll write, but then I'll be like, All right, that's not like that. I don't have this in me. Like I work in the newspaper industry at a- five hundred words three thousand words a night on deadline now i'm like i get done with a thousand once a, you know every two months i'm like yeah I, can. I haven't practiced that muscle in a while like i'm okay not using it for another two months
1: what do you think makes a good writer
0: yourself to be like that isn't what I thought of let's go in this direction because it can be better this way and the story goes from there and the reporting and asking the right questions and getting the answers like all of that is part of it that was the part that I didn't know when I got into this business. I'm like I'm just right you know I'll write But then, yeah, then there are just, there are wordsmiths. And so I think it's somebody who can tell me news and on another day can be a poet. Like, it, all that stuff goes into it. So I think there's a, the word that I think gets used so much in my class and
1: my students hate me at the end of the semester is versatility. What do you think about teaching the next generation of writers?
0: I, I love it. Again, I love being at ESPN. I love doing this job, but like, and it's going to be different this semester, probably, because who knows what version we're going to teach in. But there was nothing kind of like that energy every once, because I taught my classes once a week, three hours. There's nothing quite like that energy on the drive over that, like, all right, this is going to be good. Like, there was, they come at it from a different perspective. Um, they think about how stories are told and how they're consumed differently. Um, they haven't been in it for 10, Five, 10, 20 years, so they're not beaten down like some of us can be at times. Because even in the best environment, you, like, no matter what job you do, you get tired. Uh, but there's an energy. So every once in a while, I'd bring in somebody from ESPN to come in and be a guest speaker, and I don't think they quite got what I was talking about, about the energy of it. And they walked out and they looked at me, and none of them can figure out like, why are you doing this on a Tuesday night, 6 to 9, and, you know, and, like you got to drive 40 minutes, you got to do Got to work up a story that you know is running tomorrow morning that you haven't touched yet. I'm like, talk to me after we'll see. And you know, every, there's not a single person who got done after I said, Oh, yeah. hey, come in for 40 45 minutes if you want. They're there for two hours, and then as soon as they're done, they're like, Hey, you ever need me again? Let me know. That's what I'm saying. This is it's there's an energy that is just indescribable, and I've I had it the benefit of sort of having this run in the family like my older brother was a lawyer for the department of education and department of justice and so when i was at maryland he was at those places and he started uh doing adjuncting mm. uh over at george mason and he fell in love with it and, you know then went on full-time professor and now he's the university president so i saw it but i remember him saying man this is
1: this is something I feel like our Bama experience prepared me for this last quarter that I taught because we were kind of sitting here going, I, I usually only teach one quarter a year. And when it came up, my director of online was like, Hey, we're going online. Like we have to take the whole quarter and go online with it. And I was hesitant because i feel like because of what i do the presentation part of it is like a big deal like me being there in the classroom is a big deal i look forward to it. it's the same type of thing that you're talking about there's an energy level that comes from it and then she pointed out the importance of you know there's students that need these classes for to graduate so whatever trepidation you have you need to get over it and and figure out how to put your class online so I used a lot of the stuff that we used at Bama as a template to, to help put my online course together. I tweaked it and it made it something that, that looks a little bit more reminiscent to what DePaul does. But I've, I've it's so weird that after this experience, like I was sitting here going, oh, so that's what those two years was about. Like th- that was the... Th- I got a lot from it. Like I got a lot from the entire experience, but the practical application of seeing a fulfilling online curriculum at work, who would have known that three years later that I'd be sitting here going, yeah, so now I have to design something that looks like that.
0: Yeah, completely. Like I, I did it. So I did it for two reasons. One, the first one being so, Classes I teach at Quinnipiac are all graduate classes, and I didn't have my own master, so there was a guilt part of me. Is like I should not be teaching master level classes without a master. Like I mean, I should because this is a different kind of industry. It's not like engineering or something else. Like this is a work based real world experience, and I have 20 years of experience. So I don't feel that bad. But like I, you know, I probably should have my master's. So I wanted to do it. I wanted to challenge myself. The other part was I think you learn what you like, what you don't like by watching somebody else. So I was curious how other people did it. And I'm like, you know what? This will help me. I, I need to get my math. And this is going to help me be better at teaching because I'm going to see what I like. And more importantly, I'm going to see what I don't like uh, and go from there. Never having, never thinking that not only am I going to need it just for the in-class experience, but like now I really have to learn and remember what I liked and what I didn't because who knows? me be a professor so that was an unintended benefit
1: of going and doing the alabama thing yeah man i i've been blown away by it and i'm you know dr roberts like he's always having me talk to people and stuff because there's no zealot like the converted um and i I definitely fall into that category now but i felt a kinship with my students this this past quarter too because now it's like what you were saying with being a, a reporter who, who then turns into an editor and it's, it's the reverse. Like now I'm like, Oh yeah, I was in your position a year ago. So, so understanding how to sometimes let your foot off the gas on students. Like that, that was one of the things where I was like, you know, I had some classes where it would have been beneficial to have a breather And so I'm trying to make sure that I build some of that stuff into the curriculum because you don't want the students to get fatigued with undergrads. It's a little bit different. Like they are, they are, they're being overstimulated already. So, so I have to take a little bit more care to make sure that they get through all this stuff because they're being bombarded with stuff. And I just, I was so impressed by the way, and you probably had a similar experience so impressed by the way the students rose to the occasion. Like, this is unprecedented stuff that we're talking about right now. And I was really blown away by their ability to be like, okay, okay, this is the new normal. Cool. Hey, old guy, what what is it that you need me to do? Great. Let me go do that. And I, I, I really felt that kinship to them because they were so willing to give of themselves and allow for the educational process to morph and change around them because of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I mean it's an incredible challenge that nobody could have prepared for. And so there's nothing good about the last four or five months of the world, right? Like, there's there's just there's nothing. Like it's sad and it's frustrating exhausting and it's scary but I think the one thing we're all going to come out of this for and have changed a little is there has been a required creativity because whether it's teaching whether it's doing the job that I'm doing whether it's doing the job that you're doing like we got to figure it out because we can't just shut it down so whether it's being a student whether it's being a professor whether it's being a journalist like whether it's you know being in the healthcare industry, like my wife is, like we gotta, we're gonna figure this out. How are we gonna do it? And stuff that should take months in her case, like they're doing faster. Um, in my case, in my case, and in your case, like we're well, gonna shut down the website or the TV or the, or or the studios. that's too, but the creativity and how we accomplish things and how professors and universities are functioning and how they're going to continue to function. Why without a net, man? Like this is all new, but we got to figure it out and be creative and get
1: the job done. You know what, what term I, I prefer now to adjunct? I prefer scholar practitioner.
0: Yeah, how's that going? You, get, you
2: getting that
1: trademarked or no 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 this was actually like someone it, it, it's a friend of mine in education when I was because you know I, I get emotional like talking about the students and everything and and she said you're a scholar practitioner. like yes, you're an adjunct but you're a scholar practitioner because you're teaching what you what you know. instead of being an academic, you're taking your real world experience and you're you're giving it to the students. So I found that I kind of like, yeah, like I kind of dig that. Like, that's kind of a a cool thing to be. And it's so great when the light clicks on, you know, like when when you try to teach a student something. Or I'm sure you're probably doing it with brevity in the the brevity of their writing. And then they realize that they can tell the story using 500 words instead of a thousand words and and how they go. Oh, and and like they've picked up something that they'll carry with them for forever.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I still have things in my mind of professors telling me something or, um, people in Chicago, other journalists along the way. Like, so when you see the, yeah, when you see the light go on and when you see them get it or when they get a job, um, I am, and I don't, you're probably the same way. I am. Insanely protective of that. Like I, think about I don't do it often because I don't want to fall in the trap of always asking for guest speakers and them just coming in and telling old war stories because so I don't think the students get a ton of that ton out of that if it's done a lot but like two or three times a semester at most I'll bring somebody in and I spend a lot of time thinking about who it's going to be and what the group of students I have like hey it's, it's this group of students so maybe the person who I love to death who was great last semester might work with a different group this semester. Let's, let, let's move it around. And I spent a ton of time stressing about, like, okay, are they going to be good? Are the students going to be engaged? Are they going to get a lot out of this? And I know the people I'm asking the as journalists. It's just a matter of whether this is going to all work. Because I am protective of this room and I want them to get something out of it. I don't want to waste the people I'm asking their time. But I also want to make sure that the hours that they're in there, two hours, even though I only asked for like 30 minutes. Is going to be productive for everybody. Um, so I don't know if you're like that, but I am insanely protective of the room.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm with you on that. Like, I I mean, I often refer to my students as my kids. So, like, it is yep. I'm super protective of them. And it's why I get all weepy at the end of the quarter, like when they leave, you know, like I because I, I know how hard they work and I know that they they want to do well. They don't want to do well because I'm there. They want to do well for themselves, and and it's it's great when you see all of it happen when they when they graduate, you know, and they they feel like they they can take something out to the real world, or when they ask you to 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 put them in a position to to help get a job, man. It just it's just a pretty great great overall experience. Um, what do you miss about Chicago?
0: I love there. I love it. Um, uh, we probably come, come once a year at least, and we do it more, but like, and my wife has fallen in love with it too. i love there. I miss everything, everything about Chicago. I love it. I mean, again, not looking, not coming back Just this. I got a pretty good, we got a pretty good situation here, but, um, there, I like okay, we don't have enough time. There's so much about that place that I love. Um, <laughs> and even in the winter. Uh it, there yeah, just, there's there's just a vibe and a feel about that about the city, about the different neighborhoods. Like Chicago is big, but then you get into all those little neighborhoods and it's still Chicago, but it's not because it's all the neighborhoods with their own different personalities and their different, you know, places to go get something to eat or a bar or just personalities. Um It's just, it's it's such a great, it's such a great city. And no, miss it every day.
1: We're done, man. Unless there's something else. (laughs) Unless you want me to get you in trouble. No, I I am not getting in trouble. (laughs) I can do that enough on my own. I do not need your help. Well, good. I'm glad that we were able to make this work. Yeah, hopefully it was all right. Are you going to go get a PhD?
0: I keep saying no, but... Eh, why not? At some point I probably will do it
1: I'm thinking about it too and I feel like I could get it by the time I'm 45 Like I can get it by the time I'm 50 if I hustle But, but yeah,
0: I, just, I don't know if I'm giving it that kind of Commitment, we'll see
1: But I mean it was so, like the Masters was so Stressful Like yeah, It was super stressful So I, I, I did enjoy At least the year off Of just yeah. nothing So that's my advice, my advice is Year off, like nothing yeah. extra. No, oh, I'm not. Yeah,
0: no, I'm not. I'm not doing it. Uh If I do it, it'll be a year or two from now. Like, I'm not starting it. I, I, there's no way. I did like a couple of those classes. I remember writing papers in, like I said, in Scotland and stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing?
1: <laughs> you're out looking like you're a kid on punishment, looking out the window like, at all the I, golf. What am, I,
0: what, am I, what am I doing? And then you know, I took one exam. And it was like one of the few classes that had an actual exam where I had to answer questions and stuff and be online. And I'm in like a place that there's no way the Wi-Fi is gonna work. Like halfway through it, it drops off, and it's one of those things like as soon as you only get one shot once you open it. And I had to email the professor and be like, Listen, I'm in Scotland and the Wi-Fi died halfway through. Like I'm not that stupid. I didn't I didn't only answer half the questions. I need mean, we gotta figure out something here, pal. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks for being on the podcast, man. I'm really happy yeah, that you're, you you found some success out there, and and you yeah. seem you seem real happy.
2: Yeah,
0: we're doing we're doing good. It's uh, it's it. I got a I got a I got a good good situation. Uh, my wife's great.
1: The dog is. Yeah. I mean, the dog uh, the, the dog stayed put for 45 minutes, man. That's a great dog. It, it, yeah, it's time of night is the only time you know she she hangs out with me a couple
0: of times a day once in the you know once in the morning when i take her out once at night when i take her out and then right about six o'clock she's she's done working usually my what we set up a little office upstairs for my wife and usually the dog is sitting she like doesn't move for eight hours but sometimes for some reason six o'clock it's like all right i'm gonna go hang out with him
1: nick petruskevich man i i can't get over like how big a deal it was for me to be able to see that he was in my classes. And, and who would have thought? Like, who would have thought? We work together in Chicago. He moves to the Northeast. We end up in the same virtual classroom at the University of Alabama. It's so wild. By the way, the podcast is brought to you by our fine friends over at Mazda of Orland Park, zoomzoomnation.com. Will you do me a favor? Zoomzoomnation.com, go over there buy a car i I, I mean if you are in the market like don't just buy a car but if you if you have the means and are in the market when you buy the car be like i totally heard about Mazda of orland park on the house of l podcast this is true for for david hockberg too we're gonna get a new run of advertising with david hockberg and TeamHockBerg and 56David.com coming up in, in future episodes. But um, I just want to say, like, that's an important part of keeping the lights on for House of L is having people actually go and spend money with our advertisers. It's important. Anyway, I really love doing that episode. I know that there are parts of it that are really hard to hear. I appreciate you sticking with it, but I, I truly enjoyed doing that episode. It was a lot of fun for me, and we got some more fun ones too, man. I I got an interview lined up. Like we're posting this today. I got an interview lined up that I am, I'm so crazy about. I hope it comes through. Like I don't want to say who it is, because you know, because you don't want to say who it is. But I hope I I get this done because it's the idea that I would be able to interview this person is crazy to me. Someone I've been watching in movie and on TV for forever. And the idea that I would get to talk to this person is wild. So that'll wrap it up. Big thanks to Nick Petruskevich for being an active participant. Don't try to spell it. It's going to be difficult unless your name is also Petruskevich. I got to double check it before I put it out. Once you learn how to say it, though, it's pretty easy. Thanks to him and thanks to you for all of your continued support. I truly appreciate it. Thanks to Mazda of Orland Park, ZoomZoomNation.com. And we out this piece. Peace.